If you have a copy of God's Word this morning, I invite your attention to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We have talked through the Beatitudes together, and we are spending time in each of these slowly walking through what Jesus is calling us to, as well as what the blessing that results from that calling uh, incurs in our lives. And so we're spending two weeks on each of the Beatitudes. Last week we talked about meekness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. We're calling this series Traction. Anybody ever gotten stuck in the mud? Anybody ever gotten stuck and you just could not get traction? You were spinning your wheels? Now, I, don't, I mean that, or I meant that question physically, but anybody ever been there spiritually? You ever found yourself in an emotional state where you were just stuck and you were spinning your wheels and it, it felt like whatever you did, you just weren't going anywhere? Well, oftentimes we feel that way. And what I want you to see is that these Beatitudes give us a pathway of traction, sort of getting a grip, if you will, on the blessings of God, moving us forward. And as we look today at this idea of meekness, what I want to talk to you about today is um, how to grow in meekness. Last week, we talked about what meekness is. And so this week, we want to talk about cultivating it in your life. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Read that with me if you will. Let's say it together. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Let's read it from a different translation, one that may be a little more familiar to you. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The idea that Jesus is giving to us a calling. He's giving to us attributes or attitudes that he wants us to get into our lives. In essence, he's saying, get as much of this into your life as you can. And as you do, you'll be blessed. But you can't just run after these in any random order. Well, I think I want to be a peacemaker today. And I'll try really hard. I, I think that I want to be meek and humble today. So I'm going to grit my teeth and, and uh, just deal with stuff that comes my way and try to be that way. But we, we've talked about this notion of meekness being used to the hand. Maybe you remember that from last week. Used to the hand. Not sure why the rest of that's not showing up. Here we are. Used to the hand. The idea is a trainer and a wild horse. It's a, a breaking of a wild horse. The idea is that, that the trainer would get comfortable with, or the horse would get comfortable with the trainer. And that in that process of them walking together, in the process of them uh, maybe in a riding arena, slowly but surely the horse horse would get the, the, the trainer would get the trust of the horse and he would begin to submit it himself even to the point where the trainer could put a bit in his mouth and a bridle over his face and that horse would trust the trainer and in that relationship he would be submitted to. That is a great great picture of meekness. In fact the word meekness literally means used to the hand. The idea is that it's surrendered, submitted. It's not a, a matter of weakness at all. In fact, we talked last week, the idea of meek and mild is not at all what Jesus is talking about. It's more about humility and submission than weakness and deficiency. And as we think about that, meekness is much, much more about power that's been placed under authority. It's a calmness that does not feel the need to retaliate or to demand rights 
or to lash out. And like a horse that's been broken, it's become accustomed to the trainer's voice, the trainer's commands, the trainer's hand, and is submitted to the instructions of the trainer. So too is the Christian who is meek. It means that you are used to the hand of God moving in your life, and you're comfortable allowing Him to give you instruction and direction and and correction when needed. And when we submit ourselves to God, that is meekness, surrendered power. Now, as we think about this, it, it just dawned on me this week, again, thinking about those wild horses we kind of talked about last week. Wild horses don't win races. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, they may be out in the wild running free in the mountains, but we said they're not really free. They're just wild. But they have no direction, no purpose, no sense of control, and they don't win the races. It's only those horses that are submitted to the hand of a trainer, submitted to the hand of their master. And when they are, these these horses may be fast, they may be strong, they may be fiery, they may be powerful, but they do not win races because they're out of control. No guidance, no goal, no purpose. So ultimately, meekness is strength under control. Write that down. Strength under control. It doesn't mean that you have to have a, a, a dead fish handshake and you need to be one that just gets mowed over all the time, that you get steamrolled by stronger personalities. It, it is not a, a sense of mild in the sense of weakness, but it is power that is submitted under the control of God. And as we consider this this morning, I want us to think through how we get that in our lives. It's vitally important for us to see living in humility means we're willing to forego our rights for the benefit of somebody else. It means that I submit myself, and I want you to hear this, that attitude models the attitude of Christ. Was Christ powerful, yes or no? Is Christ powerful, yes or no? Did Christ submit himself to the authority of the Father and submit himself even to the place of humbling himself to take on humanity and flesh, as Philippians 2 said, even to death and even death on a cross? You see, he did that. He, he would forego his own rights. What right does Christ have? Well, yes, the right to worship. Everybody in the world ought to worship him and praise and laud and splendor and majesty because he's worth it all. But did he give those things up? Yes. Why? He gave that up. He would forego his own right to worship that is due him for you and for me. He left heaven and came to earth and established for us a pathway of salvation. He himself is the path. But he had to do that in meekness. So meekness helps us to more effectively share the gospel with other people. Striving for power and prestige. And it's ultimately not the pathway to blessing. Meekness is. Now I want you to write this down. There's a progression to these beatitudes. There's a progression in the Christian life. You can't just start with meekness. You can't say, you know what, I'm going to be meek today. You, you may try that, but it doesn't work in a spiritual sense. Because Jesus gave to us the progression. It starts with the earlier Beatitudes. What was the very first one we saw? Blessed are the poor in spirit. We, we had to start out in that place of saying, I am bankrupt before God. 
I have nothing to bring. I am empty-handed. I can't save myself. I can't produce righteousness. I can't produce goodness. I can't produce meekness. I can't be a peacemaker apart from this step. This is step one. And some of you today are going through your life pretty self-confident and self-assured. You say, you know what? I've got a good ability to network with people. I've got a, a pretty sharp mind and I can figure things out. But you need to know in a spiritual sense, all of your natural Natural giftings will not equate to spiritual blessing. The only way that you will experience these blessings of the Beatitudes, the only way that you'll get a grip or attraction on the blessings of God is to start at this place. God, I have nothing to bring. And now God can begin to do his best work. It's in our weakness that he's made strong. And it is in our acknowledgement that we desperately need him, our dependence upon him, that we are blessed by his presence. You know, somebody has said that prayerlessness is a declaration of independence. We're saying, God, I got this. When we don't pray as believers, we're saying, I've got something that is worth something. And I can do something apart from God's something. It's a declaration of independence. And God never intended for you or I to live independently from him. So you have to start here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Where does it go from there? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Spiritual mourning is a sense that I'm broken over my sin, that I would repent of my sin. God, I am helpless and hopeless without you. And because of that, I recognize that I've gone against your way. And in doing so, I desperately need you. And I begin to mourn my sin. Not that I got caught, but that I did it, that it was wrong. And when I do that, true repentance comes in. And that moves us forward to this third one. Because then I become spiritually humble. And when I am spiritually humble, that is the picture of meekness. There are a lot of people in this room that need to hear this part of the message because you're going through life and you're struggling at some level. Even if you're soaring, even if your business is good, your marriage seems to be okay, you've got a nice house, your, your yard is manicured, you've paid your taxes, you like your neighbors, you don't kick the dog too much. I mean, everything's kind of in place. And yet, deep down in your soul, you know that there is something missing. And that something is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to earth. He left heaven, came to earth so that you could experience forgiveness and you could experience his eternal life and you could leave earth and go to heaven. But more than that, you could have abundant life here on earth. You may have some good things that are happening. That's just his grace in, in small drops around us. But we want the showers of his blessing. And the showers of his blessing come when we say, God, I need you. And I have sinned against you. And it breaks us down to a humble place. And so I want you to begin to see if you feel like somehow you need to clean your life up to get to God, you need to go back to step one. You don't have to get cleaned up to take a bath. And some of you say, you know what, when I get my ducks in a row and I get some things kind of out of the way, then I'm going to start going to church. Then I'm going to get reconnected to God or connected to God. And it does not require any of those things. Empty-handed we come before him and cling to his cross. Let me give you a statement that will really set the stage for where we want to go the rest of our time. The man who sees that he is dependent on grace moves away from insisting on his rights. When we see that we need God's grace to make it through every single day, we don't have to insist on our rights. We begin to look like 
Christ. Does that make sense? Yes or no? I I hope that you'll hang on to that. Now, I want you to see this very quickly before we get into the the, the crux of the matter of cultivating uh, meekness in our lives. I want you to see that meekness is in ministry. We see it modeled in ministry. Let me give you from Scripture three places. Number one, in teaching. In teaching, um, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.25, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone and able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents. How? With gentleness. You know what that word gentle could be replaced with? Meekness. With humility. You see, when we teach others, we should patiently teach and patiently lead and patiently love. We should bring them along. It doesn't mean that you ignore their faults and it doesn't mean that you give up on their faults. But at the same time, you don't need to blast their faults. You need to love them with tenderness, with the ultimate goal of leading them toward Christ. It means you see a bigger picture. And I could absolutely point out your sins from the pulpit and call you down or call you out by name and you walk away and be frustrated. That's not a sense of humility. That's not a sense of meekness. Meekness says, church family, I love you. And your Sunday school teacher ought to teach that way. They're not puffed up saying, listen to what I know. They're saying, look at what God has for you. You see, it's, it's fascinating to me to begin to think of this idea of, of our hearts being poured out before God in patience. I, I recognize what God's done for me. We'll get to that in a moment. Let me show you it also happens in witnessing. You need to be meek in witnessing. As you share the gospel with your life and with your lips, you need to understand that Peter gave us a model. He said, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. By the way, it always intrigued me. Has anybody asked you lately why you're so hopeful? Maybe just maybe you're not living in a way that's exemplifying hope and they're not asking. They're going, you know what? I've got everything that they've got. Why do I want to go to their church? Why do I want to serve their God? Why do I want to submit to Jesus? Maybe just maybe if you and I would begin to live our lives hope-filled, hope-infused, joy-injected, others would say, i got to have what you've got. I'll take two of whatever she's got. I want some of that. And Jesus here through the Holy Spirit is speaking to the church through Peter. And he says in a powerful way, be ready to make a defense, but to do it in a certain way. With gentleness and respect. Can I just say this? We are not going to argue people out of hell. But we can love them to heaven. Amen? We can lovingly tell them the truth. And if you're at a place where you just want to get all of the arguments and all of the facts and all of the bullets for your gun and you want to shoot at their religion or shoot at their beliefs and you want to attack, then you will not win them. We are told here in Scripture to give an account for our hope with gentleness and with respect. Gentleness and respect are huge. Number three, I want you to see this. It it happens in confrontation. This may be a place that all of us need to hear. Because in the church, if we are alive, there's going to be friction. Uh, Life brings friction and growth brings friction. And there are going to be times that we disagree. We don't see eye to eye. There will be times that people sin. And how you approach them is vitally important. And Scripture speaks to that. And so I want you to hear this in confrontation. Galatians 6.1. Brothers, 
If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of what? And what could we replace the word gentleness with this morning? Meekness. We ought to restore one another lovingly, recognizing that their sin is not just an affront to us. They're not just embarrassing our church because they've sinned publicly. No, they are harming themselves. And we want to love them and say, you don't have to do that. You don't have to give in to that. God has a better way. So meekness is of huge importance in life and in ministry. But the question remains, Pastor, how can I grow in meekness? I want to give you 10 points this morning. Some of you are scared to death. You're like, our pastor went away for a weekend. He's preached to preachers, and he's coming back with a 10-point sermon. We're going to go through these really quickly. And I put them all in your notes so that you would see them. No fill in the blank. Because I really want you to dial in with me. These will be helpful for you in a very practical way. These are arrows that will go in your quiver that you can begin to shoot out into life and say, this is going to help me. All right? Everybody say, this is going to help me. I hope you believe that. I really do. And, and if you're in a married relationship, you may want to say, this is going to help my spouse. Okay? They need to hear that. This is good that they would develop humility, that they would develop gentleness in their relationship with you. A very trusted Bible scholar that I, I follow often wrote a book called Momentum on These Beatitudes. His name's Colin Smith. And he gave these 10 points. I've adapted some of them. But I want you to begin to see in these um, these words, some powerful things. Number one, moderate your expectations of others. Let me give you a verse. I'm going to put the verses on the screen and the notes are there in your listening guide. Psalm 103, 14 says, read it with me. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Isn't that refreshing every once in a while to realize that we are simply made of the dust? God knows where you came from. And if God knows where you came from, you ought to remember where you came from. And if you remember where you came from, you ought to cut some other people a little slack because they came from the same place. Over the past 33 years in pastoral ministry, I've done hours and hours, thousands of hours of premarital and marital counseling. And I've kind of amassed a library of books on love and marriage and relationships. And my absolute favorite title for any of those marriage books is this one. And the book is called, What Did You Expect? Those of you that are married are the ones that are laughing right now. What did you expect? I, you say, well, yeah, he's pretty dusty, Pastor. He, he's, you know, he, he's trouble. What did you expect? He was made out of lump of dust. God fashioned us from the dust of the ground. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, yes. But you recognize that we are fallen and broken people. If you begin to think about that idea, it's pretty amazing. God remembers that your spouse is dust and you ought to as well. You need to recognize it will help you grow in meekness. It's easy, especially for pastors, to forget this. It is easy for me to forget it. And I'm just going to tell you there are times at 3 in the morning that I wake up after this magnificent dream that everybody loves the Lord all the time and everybody wants to seek the Lord and everybody wants to serve one another and everybody wants to be in church every time the doors are open and if you can't be here every single week you're sitting at home removing all the distractions and you're glued into that live stream and you are here with us and I think that all of the time and everybody's ready for sacrifice and engaged in the mission of the church and walking by faith and living in full obedience to Christ If those things were true, 
I'd be out of a job. There would be no need. If all of us just said today, okay, we're going to surrender and submit to the Lord and we're going to live our lives, we would turn Hattiesburg upside down. 120 people fully submitted to God absolutely turned the world upside down as they were infused with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not the case. We find that there's a great deal of self-interest in Christians. You say, oh, surely not here, Pastor. Now, I've seen it occasionally, a time or two in my own life. There are times that we are self-interested. It's easy to become disappointed and frustrated with other people. And and I think every leader experiences that some way. If you've taught a Sunday school class and you you look and where's my class? Where are our people? I I want you to see that we have at times a sense of self-interest. And here's the deal. That if I begin to really realign my expectations of people, moderate those expectations, don't lower the standard. We're going to get there. But the idea is I need to remember that every Christian in my life is a sinner in the process of redemption and recovery. Amen? My wife is a sinner in process of redemption and recovery. Now, if I said that and you tweeted it out, you know, just right there out of context, that could be really, really bad. I am a sinner in process, recovery, and redemption. And so are the people around you. And when that happens in my mind and my mindset, I begin to exhibit meekness at a whole different place. The consideration, Matthew Henry said this, the consideration of common infirmity and corruption in mankind should, made, should be made use of, not to the excusing of our own faults, but to excuse the faults of others. Has somebody hurt you? Has somebody wounded you? Has somebody lied to you? Have they done you wrong? And everything within you wants to grit your teeth and ball up your fist and retaliate in vengeance, meekness. Could Jesus have gritted his teeth and balled up his fist and called down fire from heaven over Judas' betrayal, over Pilate's condemnation? Absolutely. Could he have called down 10,000 angels and he come down from the cross? Could he have destroyed the whole world? Absolutely. But meekness. He was power under control, under authority, under submission. And one of the things that you and I need to do is just begin to moderate our expectations. Don't expect people to act all of the time the way that you expect them to act. Now, especially with lost people, don't expect lost people to act like Christians. Now, we need to demand of one another as brothers and sisters in accountability that we would live godly lives, but we need to forbear with one another with gentleness and meekness in confrontation. Restore them, it said, with a sense of meekness. Number two, I want you to see this. We need to find joy in the evidences of God's grace. Look at Philippians 4, 8. Read it with me. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. There have been seasons that we quoted this in our house. It needed to go on the refrigerator. And we'd say, we need to talk about positive things. We need, to, we, we need to move forward in thinking of these things. Now, imagine with me, if you will, a subdivision. And there's 50 houses being built. There are mud holes over here. There are, there, there are concrete slabs here. And then there are places where the only thing left is a little bit of trim work on the cabinets. They're in various stages, Right? 
And you look at that house that's just a mud hole, the lot that has nothing or it has batter boards or, or maybe they poured the concrete. And you say, that'll never amount to anything. And you drive down the street and you see one that is almost completed. The shingles have gone on, the windows are in, and you go, now that's beautiful. And you can begin to imagine what it's going to look like. And then maybe the landscaping goes in and you say, that's a, a beautiful, beautiful home. Well, the idea there is very simple. Christians are like houses in various stages of construction. And none of us are yet where we're supposed to be. But you need to l- learn to rejoice in every evidence of progress. Even if somebody's Christian life is just at the beginning, if it's just a foundation, if it's just a big hole in the ground, but the lot is cleared, thank God for that. Find joy in what God is doing in the lives of others. And when you do that, it it may be that you look at our men that come on Wednesday nights with Celebrate Recovery and and you pray for them in earnest that God is moving and working in their lives. Scott Plath told me about this young couple and the man that had gotten out of prison and came to Christ and how God is working. He said he is rough as a cob, but God's blessing and moving and encouraging him. And now he wants to be a husband that does right. He wants to be a good father. He wants to be a provider. Is he going to slip up and mess up? Yes. And his wife hopefully will will respond in meekness. Because if she said, I knew it. You see, we need to find the joy in what God is doing in other people's lives. Number three, this may be one of the most significant ones I give you. Remember how much you've been forgiven. Remember how much you have been forgiven. Look at 2 Peter 1.9. For those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their old sins. Peter lists out a whole list of what it looks like to walk in Christ. And he speaks about love and steadfastness and even self-control, which really is a picture of meekness, of humility. And here Peter says, if you don't live that way, if you don't develop that way, it just makes sense that if you remember how much you've been forgiven, you'll grow in meekness. If you recognize what God has forgiven you of and from, you'll drop your stone. You won't be the one throwing stones at other people. You won't retaliate. I cannot believe they did that to me. Yeah, well, what did you do to Jesus? The Bible says that He demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he didn't wait till we cleaned up our act to love us. No, he loved you in spite of you. And he loved me in spite of me. Does that make sense? Somebody needs to hear that this morning because you're living with pent up anger and you need to begin to release that to Jesus and experience meekness. And as you do, he will bless you. He who has been forgiven much and knows it loves much. Remember how much you've been forgiven and you'll grow in meekness. (laughs) Remember how patient God's been with you and you'll start being patient with other people. Does that make sense? I mean, this is about as practical as a a focus as I could give you. We're talking about growing in meekness. And maybe if we would begin to tolerate in patience and love and gentleness one another, we would experience blessing. Number four, take time before you form judgments. James said it very simply this way. Every one of us need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I I didn't like this one as I read it and contemplated it. Because I listen so I can speak. I listen so I can respond. I listen so I can rebut. (laughs) 
I, I'm ready. Yeah, but I, I hear what you're saying. Not really. I, I, I hear what you're saying, but this is the truth. This is my truth. This is my way. This is what's going to happen. Anybody else here do that? Anybody else here quick to speak and slow to listen? And the, the biblical pattern is that we would slow down and we would listen and that we would be patient. David said something interesting in Psalm 116, 11. He said, in my haste, I said that all men are liars. <laughs> he made a judgment. He said, everybody lies. He jumped to conclusions and it led him to make harsh judgments. In Proverbs, we read this. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Why don't you just slow down before you make a judgment about somebody? Have you ever gotten a text and you read it and you were angry and they meant nothing by it? But there's no emotion in those words. They're just words. And we need to be slow to make judgments. And what we're doing when we get angry about those things is we are feeling pressed from something outside and we're exerting our rights. That's not biblical meekness. And if you're going to grow in it, slow down. Number five. Make friends with meek people. This is going to be stinging for some of us. Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. If a person is habitually angry, if a person is constantly complaining, he or she is not a friend to you. Now, you can love them toward the Lord, but here's the reason you shouldn't make friends with them and associate with them. The Scripture says there in Proverbs, as we look at that, the Scripture says very, very pointedly this, that you will learn to be like them. That you will learn to be. That's Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. If you sit over lunch and you listen to the conversation of a person who is constantly complaining, their habit, the habit of their heart will rub off on you. You ever experienced that? There are people in your life. And if you haven't, maybe it's you. Maybe, just maybe, you need to exhibit meekness. Let's keep going. Take pleasure in the joys of others. That's number six. Be happy with those that are happy and weep with those that weep, Scripture says. It says to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those who weep. Let me ask you really quick. How many of you would say it is easier to weep with those who weep than to rejoice with those who rejoice? Anybody? How many of you would say then the other side? If you didn't raise your hand just then, that would be almost everybody. How many of you would say it's easier to rejoice with those that rejoice? Really? I, I think that's unbelievably hard for me. If you're sick, I can come and pray for you, and I can kind of come with pity. Oh, I'm, I'm really sorry. If you're sad over something, I can be sad. But if God blesses you with something, there's a twinge of jealousy in all of us that covets. And we go, why did God bless her? Why did God give him that blessing and not me? And it's hard to rejoice with other people. But meekness says it's not about what God has given me or not. It's about how good God is. And when he gives to somebody else, I celebrate that. Does that make sense? The idea is that I would begin to cultivate closeness with Christ. And when I do, then I'll have great joy when he blesses others. Meekness allows you to find joy when God is good in the life of someone else don't say in covetousness I deserve that say God's blessed them and I'll rejoice in it rejoice with those that rejoice and that meekness is only possible by the spirit of God you need to be intentional this week about rejoicing with others everybody in here ought to write a thank you note 
to Sandy Ballou and to LaDonna Barner. Everybody in here ought to write a congratulatory note to Carter and to Andrew. You ought to say, guys, great job for pouring into the Word of God. And it'll bless their socks off if you do. But I'm just telling you, it'll bless you because you're saying, you know what? I'm thinking about somebody else, not me. When you sit down and write thank you cards, when you sit down and and text somebody or pray for somebody, you are exhibiting meekness because you're saying, it's not about me. Let's move forward just a little more. Number seven, discern God's hand in the work of your enemies. Jesus said to Peter something pretty amazing. Read it with me. Put your sword back into, read it with me out loud. Put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Why did Jesus suffer? Why did Jesus suffer? Was it because the religious leaders handed him over with the intent to destroy him? Why did Jesus go to the cross? Did he go to the cross because Judas betrayed him? Why did Jesus go to the cross? Did he go to the cross because Pilate condemned him? No, he said it was the cup that the Father gave to me. Thomas Watson had a powerful, powerful question. He said, what made Christ so meek in his sufferings? He did not look to Judas. He did not look to Pilate. He looked to the Father. Recognize that there are things that come into your life and in my life that are difficult. And when they do, it may just be that it's been filtered through the sovereign hand of God. And that's exactly what he wanted in your life for you to experience a place of trusting him. We don't like that. We don't want to suffer. We don't want to struggle. We want everything to be nice and soft and easy. God didn't save you to be in a place of nice and easy. He saved you to be in a place of obedience. And when you obey, meekness comes. You go, whatever comes my way, God is in control. Well, as we consider that, I jotted these words down. Somebody needs to hear it. As long as you see your life as a story of what others have done to you, you will live in disappointment. Let me say that again. As long as you live your life as a story of what others have done to you, you will live in disappointment. Anger, frustration, and resentment will follow. Judas and Pilate and all that they've done to me. No, you don't want to live there. Jesus said this was the cup the Father gave me. Look at him on the cross. When his enemies had done their worst, they cannot overcome him. See the glory of the Son of God when he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Number eight, walk in daily fellowship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to spend a little time here, and then we'll just read the last two. Jesus said to be yoked up with him. He says, take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. A yoke would link up two animals, uh, two oxen, and they would pull together. And the, the magnified power of them walking together was incredible. And Jesus wants to come alongside you and give you strength and power. So walk with Christ. Walk with God. We're going to continually challenge and ramp up our church in that mindset of discipleship. You need to spend time in the Word and in prayer every single day. And as you do, you'll experience the power of His presence. Number nine is to anticipate all that God has promised. You need to recognize this. When God adopted you into His family, He put you in His will. Amen? What does He say? Blessed are the meek, they will what? 
they'll inherit the whole earth. Well, the Bible says in Revelation 21 that I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and they were literally meld together. The whole universe becomes the dwelling place of God with his people. And he says, I'm going to give it to, to who? The meek. Those who have submitted themselves to me, maybe just maybe if you have submitted yourself to God, today you begin to recognize that God has in store for you incredible things. The best is yet to come. Number 10, ask God to give you meekness. James 1 says, if any one of you needs wisdom, ask, because God will give it. He will not rebuke you for asking. You know, it's interesting to me, if you jot this one down, James 3, 17. James describes the wisdom that he tells us to ask God for in James 3, 17. He says this, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. Lord, you said that a gentle and a quiet spirit is of great worth to your sight. Lord, you've said that submitting to you will give me blessing and honor. God, would you give me that? Church family, this may be kind of a, a strange teaching just to walk through things like that. But again, I hope that these are bullets for your gun of daily life. And this week, you'll start right there and you'll begin to pray. And you'll say, God, make me a meek person. God, give me a sense of understanding what you've forgiven me of and from. God, thank you for my deliverance. God, thank you for working in my heart. Help me to recognize that my spouse is a broken, fallen individual, and so am I. Help me to understand that my neighbors are broken and fallen, and help me to be peaceable and patient with others around me. I promise you, church family, it'll make an eternal impact. Because the Bible says, very simply, you grow in meekness and you'll be blessed. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, as our instrumentalists come, we're going to have a, a song of decision. We do this each and every week. For those of you that are visiting with us, this is very simply an opportunity for you to respond to what you've heard. And, and this is a unique message. I mean, it's not like you're going to respond and walk down the aisle and say, okay, I want to be meek. But maybe just maybe you say, I want to surrender. Maybe today you need to surrender to Christ. Maybe surrendering to Christ means joining this church. Just say, you know what? I want to sit under the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. I want to be connected with a community of people that will help me to grow in meekness. Whatever God says to you, you let Him have His way. How do you do that, Pastor? We have prayer partners. We call them encouragers. They meet right down here in the front. And if you'll step out from where you are as we're singing and just walk to them, they'll pray with you. Uh, they'll encourage you. They'll listen and uh, love you. And I want you to, to come and speak to them, whatever the need. Maybe the need of your life is for the very first time today to surrender your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. To say, I can't save myself. And I want to be blessed by God. I want to get some traction. You're spinning your wheels. Well, today would be a great place to start by saying, Jesus, I need you. Let's all stand together and sing.